I am happy to announce that the winner is All About Eve. Parasite. Kramer versus Kramer. Chicago! West Side Show. The Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King. One flew over the cuckoo's Shakespeare in Love. May I have the envelope, please? It is Tuesday, April 2nd, 1974. We are at the Dorothy Chandler Pavilion in Los Angeles, California at the 46th Academy Awards. Got Burt Reynolds, Diana Ross, John Houston, and David Niven. That is some collection of people um, presenting the awards uh, ceremony this evening. And it's now time for the big award of the night where we honor the best movie of 1973. The envelope, please. (laughs) Oh, I'm so glad. The winner is... The sting. Ta-da! 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 Wow, Rans. We have (laughs) quite a bit to talk about for this episode. There is so much going on here. Oh my goodness. This this is... Right? There's so many big movies and there's so many Mm -hmm. things that have happened during this specific ceremony um in general there's so many things that happened the first thing that i just have got to throw out there that we can begin talking about is this okay. is a ceremony where we get the infamous streaker <laughs> we get a ah, man yes. running across the stage butt ass naked behind poor david niven who's just trying to introduce elizabeth taylor uh, I think this is one of the most <laughs> famous instances that has, has ever happened in an Oscar ceremony. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as he runs across, the guy's name was Robert Opal, in case anyone's wondering. Um, as he runs across, he flashes the peace sign, and there's this humongous laughter um, that lasts for like a minute. You need to uh, watch this clip on YouTube if you have not. It's very easily uh, found on YouTube. Uh, just type in Oscar Streaker and you'll you'll get it. And then David Niven um, <laughs> laughs um, to himself. He's definitely in on the joke. And then he addresses the audience and says, the, Probably the only laugh that man will ever get in his life is by stripping off and showing his shortcomings. <laughs> Leave it to David Niven to have like the perfect... The perfect, just like the perfect quip. quip. You know what I mean? Improvised quip. What a genius! I think this is so yeah. interesting because Robert Opal had quite the life, actually. I mean, this is a former really? speechwriter. For yes, uh-huh. he was a former speechwriter of the then California governor Ronald Reagan, uh, and then oh. he turned himself into a photographer and an art gallery owner. In fact, he went on to open an art gallery in San Francisco that showcased gay erotic art. So he helped popularize um, such gay artists like Tom of Finland and made their artwork incredibly popular during the 1970s. Uh I would never have expected that from this guy. Isn't that just wild? And one more thing, too. He also... He did uh-huh. run for president in 1976, and he used his campaign slogan was, I'm not just another crooked dick. And I just have to say that because that's oh really fucking perfect. Oh my god. Oh my god. I can't. Oh, that's so. That is so good. Oh, man. I don't even know. Oh my gosh. Um, well, uh, I guess he kind of switched parties at some point. Um, yes, it sounds he like he became more liberal. 
um, than the person he was writing speeches for in the in the seventy in the sixties. So um, I'll say, um, if you ever watch any of the the Oscar YouTube page, is just a treasure trove of um, material because they have uh, pretty much every single um, moment from nearly every single ceremony available to watch um if you so choose to watch it and um the the years that are in the late 60s and early 70s are interesting because um whoever the host is uh who ends up giving the the monologue at the beginning they uh invariably mention in some form ronald reagan and actors getting into politics um which is just uh which is just a wonderful little joke but, um, of course, the person who ends up hosting quite a few of these is Bob Hope. This is kind of the heyday of, of Bob Hope. And, um, anyway, I highly recommend uh, watching any of these openings if you get the opportunity to. There's so, so many good jokes um, that he throws out there. And he has this recurring thing where he, uh, um, where he uh, mentions how he's always passed over for Oscar. And... Um, and it's always, always funny. He did not host this year, so I'm bringing this up at a completely inopportune moment. I just wanted to say I watched a <laughs> bunch of them this week, and they're all funny. And he says things like, uh, welcome to the Oscars, or as they called in my house, Passover. You know. Um, <laughs> yes. Or welcome to the Oscars, or as we call it in my house, Mission Impossible. <laughs> you know, like... <laughs> um it's just good stuff like that. There is something else I wanted to mention about the ceremony that I think is very significant. Please this do. is the only this is the only time we ever get an appearance from one Miss Catherine Hepburn. Yes, she lives. <laughs> she does live. Um, she gives it to Lawrence Weingarten, who was an MGM film producer and did movies like Adam's Rib with Catherine Hepburn, also things like Cat in a Hot Tin Roof. And um, she came out on stage, um, got a standing ovation as she was in her pantsuit. And um, (laughs) she said, I'm living proof that a person can wait 41 years to be unselfish. It's about time. Um, (laughs) uh, Because Catherine Hepburn very famously, like, didn't come to the Oscars any time she was nominated or any of the four times she won. But it's not mm-hmm. because she was a George C. Scott and disagreed with the award. It's just that she didn't like being in public. She was very happy to win her Oscars. <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah, and she you was know. terrified of losing. Because, you know, she lost more than she won. We have to remember that. You know, there was mm-hmm. decades where she was nominated, you know, what, five, six times and didn't win. So she was convinced she would always lose no matter when she was nominated. So she just never wanted to face that kind of embarrassment she talks about so she's only i could go back and tell her i I, if only i could go back and tell her just so you know with the last three you're gonna go three through three for three so yeah right it's like you might as well show up for those ones (laughs) might as well show up for those um this is also uh this is what something that i think is really fun history um there was of course the we've talked about him before the crooner eddie fisher um, who is the father of Carrie Fisher uh, and was married to both Debbie Reynolds and Elizabeth Taylor. He was also married to an actress named Connie Stevens as well. And all three, Elizabeth Taylor, Debbie Reynolds, and Connie Stevens, are presenters at this award. 
ceremony. Oh my. oh my! So we got we got tons of ex-wives of um, <laughs> uh, uh, excuse me, Connie Stevens uh, performs the song "Live and Let Die." That's why she's there. Um, also, that's really weird to me. If anybody knows what Connie Stevens sounds like, the song "Live and Let Die" does not match her at all. That's so weird because you know "Live and Let Die." Um, is one of the more famous uh, Bond theme songs. Yes. And um, and it's performed by uh, Paul McCartney and the, um, what are they called? Uh, what's his second group? Um, oh, oh my boy, gosh, I'm not sure. I, I'm, uh, you've heard of them. Uh, hold on. I'm sure I It's going to come. Uh, Paul McCartney had his second group, and that group was called Wings. 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 The name of the group. Yes. Okay. Uh, he, he and his uh, wife Linda McCartney uh, made the made the uh, band Wings, and they did the song "Live and Let Die." Um, but that is not what won Best Song, um, and we'll get to that because I want to talk about yes. the movie, the song, one that won Best Song. Um, yes, yes, yes. Okay, okay. Uh, um, oh, my also, only final note. Oh, go ahead. You say something. I'm sorry. I keep, I keep, I am, I am, you are so organized and you have all these things in such a great order. And I just remember things off the top of my head. Um, but, uh, going back to the streaker just briefly, it is, it came at the end of the night. Uh, Elizabeth Taylor was presenting the award for best picture and right before best picture is when the streaker happened. So that makes sense. Yeah. So super fun. Anyway, go ahead. My only final note on this ceremony is we do get another first, another record setter. It is Tatum O'Neill who wins Best Supporting Actress for Paper Moon at the ripe old age of 10 years and 148 days old. I want my $200. She is the youngest to win a competitive statute and she wins for Tatum O'Neill, or she wins for Paper Moon, a movie she's in with her father, Ryan O'Neill. I just think it's kind of a fun little tidbit. A movie that she's nominated for Best Supporting Actress, even though she's in 95% of the film. <laughs> Very much the lead. Very much the lead. <laughs> and and I just gotta say, like, I feel like she would have had a pretty good shot in the leading actress category had they decided to submit her for lead. You know? You are not like, wrong. Actually. Yeah. Actually. And then Madeline Kahn could have had a fighting chance for Supporting Actress. Oh man, if I could get Madeline Kahn an Oscar, I would because she her is all the Oscars. Because she's one of my favorites, and she appears in things like Paper Moon, and <laughs> proves that there's so much more to her than just you know being not that it be, being a comedian's hard. Like that's enough, but oh, like yeah. she has so much depth as an actress, and I think she really proves that. Um, and I would like her to have an Oscar, but it's fine. 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 All right, let's get into... <laughs> All right, let's get into some of our snubs for the year. I have two that I'm going to throw out there. They're both in the same movie, and they would Go both be it. in the... They would both be in the supporting actor category. Mm-hmm. I am so confused why Paul Newman and Robert Shaw don't appear for The Sting anywhere. I don't get it. I don't get why um, the only represented actor for the sting is robert redford i think he's fine but I well this really is think... a this is an interesting conversation to have because do you uh, you you're suggesting submitting them as supporting correct yes 
Yes, I am. But I think I think the issue is that they were both given star billing. So did they even try to push them for supporting? Oh, 100%. Yeah, you're right. All three yeah. have above the title billing. You're right. And I think that's probably why they aren't in there. But mm-hmm. I still will fight tooth and nail anybody to say that they're absolutely supporting characters in this movie. Definitely. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, if, I can... if Paul Newman, I can see an argument for Paul Newman being lead. Um, I don't think it's a great argument, but I, I could see an argument for that. But Robert Shaw, 100%, is a supporting actor in this movie. Yeah. Now, he he fought to be above the title. That's why he's yes, he there. Did. Um, yeah. uh you could you could give an argument to where to Paul Newman being a lead, but but Robert Shaw is one hundred percent supporting. I just want to say while we're on this topic, the cast in this thing is fantastic, and mm-hmm. um, there are a lot of other. There's um, an actor named Harold Gould who I think is wonderful in the movie, who I would put in the best supporting actor conversation. Um, you know, he's the uh, he's he's kind of the main henchman if that yes. makes any sense um yes the one I, who's kind of like in charge but not totally in charge yeah and he's he's this sits, is what i'm thinking of he's the one who um who clues robert shaw in at the at the end to him getting that little fact wrong about yes, the yes, horse yes, race yes. winner yeah yep like um he he plays he plays uh the partner uh the the fake partner Yep. Uh, the one who fake works at the bank and stuff. Um, I, I I love him. Like I I think the cast is so 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 good, and there's um, uh, nominations all around. But uh, it's super weird that those two in particular are not in this conversation because they're such vital parts of the movie. It's also interesting that this is um, one of Robert Redford's only nominations. Um, is it his only acting nomination? It is his only acting nomination, yes. I mean, luckily, there's other ways we get to talk about him in the future. But yes. um, for him, you know, this humongous, like, this is, he's the definition of movie star. Mm-hmm. You know? Um, I would say so. and, he, and he is the biggest thing in movies in the 1970s. And this is the only time he's uh, nominated for Best Actor. And that's so interesting to me. <laughs> it you is know? interesting. Yeah, I agree. Um, because we talked about in 69 about like where is he for um for uh uh butch cassidy you know why yep. isn't he there and i i think in a couple of years we might have a conversation about all the president's men you know um, oh definitely so um it's just interesting to me that this is his only nomination um ever i know it's very bizarre i agree yeah. Thankfully, we get to give him an Oscar for something else, but we'll get there. Um, we'll get there. Do you have any snubs for 1973? You know, I was just thinking about this, and mm-hmm. I, I'm like, I'm looking at it, and I don't, I don't know if I do. I, I, sure. I really like, I really like these nominations. I, I like everything about. I really, I really like how this year shaped up at the Oscars, honestly. And other than my minor quibbles with category fraud and, yeah. um, 
you know, I also I would probably think about putting Paper Moon in the picture or director category. You know, but I, I don't. That. Yeah, I can see that. I don't know what I would take out. So, a touch I mean, of class. <laughs> get rid of it. <laughs> okay, a touch of class is what I would get get rid of. I hundred. I haven't. Okay, I haven't seen it, so I can't. It's embarrassing. I mean, it's not embarrassing, but it's like. It's a comedy. It's like a 70s comedy. So you watch it today, and it's really kind of not funny and a little Dated. awkward. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Very. All right. I didn't want to talk to that since I hadn't watched it. but um, Sure. Well, rest assured, it does not warrant a Best Picture nomination. <laughs> All right. Well, I probably would put Paper Moon in its slot. Um, I like that. But um, but other than that, I, I, I really like this year. I oh, do, too. Oh, I really like how oh. it shaped out. Oh, go ahead. Oh, wait, but this is a weird thing. I was about to say, this is the year that Day for Night won Best Foreign Language Film. Day for Night is a wonderful movie about filmmaking. Um, French film uh, by Franco... Oh, God, I'm so bad at pronouncing French words. Truffaut. There we go. Um, Francois. Francois Truffaut. I look at it, and I can't hear it, but then I hear it, and I'm like, (laughs) oh, yeah, it's that. Um, Sure, sure. uh, (laughs) um, But I'm pretty sure day for night didn't qualify yet for other oscars because right it's not until next year yes Mm -hmm. because it shows up nominated for stuff again i'm if i remember correctly um so i won't even i won't even talk about that till we get to next year so yeah i'm i'm not snubbing i i'm 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 happy oh okay (laughs) (laughs) one thing one thing one thing um don't you just love being with me as i talk through this my emotions (laughs) here it's my favorite um uh i'm a little confused now that i'm looking at it even with all the nominations it got um how max von sido is Mm. not in supporting actor there i'm glad you say that i'm actually really really glad that you say that yeah, I agree. Um, I think both he, he and Jason Miller is give unrecognizable. great performances. He he was aged like forty years in his face, and you can't even tell he has age makeup on. It's so good, you know. Um, Do you know that I have this theory about Max Vincido? I honestly, before he passed, I was convinced he was kind of like a like a vampire. You know, you know how people think. Um, Oh, what's his face? The guy who did Happy Come Along. What's his name? That singer. Pharrell. Pharrell. You know, people think that Pharrell is like a vampire and he's actually 200 years old. Well, I think that Max von Sydow was like a thousand years old because he has looked about 70 years old for probably 50 years. You know, like you, you look at him in The Exorcist here and he looks old as shit. And then you watch him toward the end of his life like for example in extremely loud and incredibly close he looks the exact same age i don't know how he does it that the power of christ compels you magic witchcraft i don't know <laughs> but that's that's my little maximum zydo tidbit i think <laughs> he's always looked a hundred i don't know how yeah and he also um he like uh he is one i think he's an unsung hero in the way that he manipulates his voice um in the way that he uh does a variety of accents you know Mm -hmm. 
he, yes. he's just kind of, he's whatever you need him to be in a movie. There's very, <laughs> there's very few people who just kind of just like become, you know? Yeah. And he is, yeah. he, he just becomes, he becomes, <laughs> it's like, oh, you need me to be a hundred year old priest? I got this. Cool. Um, you know, he's not a hundred, yeah. but he looks like, you know, that's, sure he's does. an old priest. Um, no. Okay. So yes. All right. Let, let's, let's go to the next thing before I find another stump. Well, I love that you brought up The Exorcist because that is a movie that I would like to spotlight for this episode. So let me break down The Ooh. Exorcist for people. I mean, honestly, Rance, could there be other choice for me? I this is I mean, this is the horror movie. You know, this is the Academy's probably their favorite horror film. Quick plot summary: The Exorcist is about a little girl named Reagan, uh, played by Linda Blair, and she becomes possessed by an evil demon named Pazuzu. And this movie just shows the pain and torment that her and her mother, who's played by Ellen Burstyn, what they go through to get this demon exercised from her body. Um, I love this because it's, you know, as I just mentioned before, it's basically the only horror movie the Academy ever acknowledges in such a gargantuan way. I understand that Silence of the Lambs wins five of its seven nominations in 91, sweeping the top five categories, but there are a lot of people out there who don't really qualify Silence of the Lambs as a true horror film, you know, and kind of fit into other subgenre categories like psychological thriller, um, procedural detective movie, that kind of stuff. However, The Exorcist can only be classified as horror. Hand, like, top to bottom, this is a scary movie. And the Academy gives it 10 nominations. I think that's so wild. It ties the sting for the most nominations of the night. And I also think it's important to note here, too, that they gave The Exorcist three acting nominations. That is huge for any movie, but for a horror film especially. Uh, it gets nominations for actress Ellen Burson, supporting actress Linda Blair, and supporting actor um, for Jason Miller. And as we just discussed, it probably should have had a second supporting actor nomination uh, for Max von Sydow. They're all brilliant. But I think what I love most about this picture is that it's legitimizes the horror genre. I feel like up until now, horror has kind of been thought of as like a B-picture genre, kind of like a lesser genre that the big actors don't really want to get involved with. Um, but The Exorcist really changed that. It's terrifying and it's grotesque and everything uh, that a horror movie should be, but it never loses sight of its central theme. And the central theme of The Exorcist is a mother doing everything in her power to protect her daughter. And that is a theme that is just so universally relatable that, you know, it's no wonder that this movie makes the big bucks that it does, and it's also no wonder why it is so successful at the Oscars. You know, you take the whore out of it, and you, have, you still have a really strong family drama um, that you're watching. So I love seeing The Exorcist here. I think it deserves all the credits and nominations that it got, and it's one of my top movies of 1973. That is fantastic. I, I, I don't know if I have anything to add to that, because you did such a beautiful job of describing it. Um, Thank you. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> I... Uh, I think it's interesting that you bring up the debate about what constitutes a, a horror film. Um, yes. And I definitely think The Exorcist qualifies, although I think the reason the Academy honors something like this is because it has, it's not just about thrills or, or jump scares or whatever. 
Um, and I was totally surprised by it because I did not think I was going to enjoy it as much as I did. Um, I kind of am a bit of a scaredy cat, if you will. Um, (laughs) And because I'm a scaredy cat, I tend to avoid movies like The Exorcist because I know that they are going to disturb me and I don't like when things are gross. Um, I like suspense, but I don't like, uh, you know, pea soup vomit and stuff. Stick your cock up her ass, you motherfucking worthless cocksucker. And um, I did, I will admit, uh, spend a lot of time looking away from the screen as I was watching The Exorcist. But I enjoyed the rising line of tension. I enjoyed finding out what was going to happen. I thought that they had a very good payoff um, that was based very much in emotional arcs. You know, um, very much, that it very wasn't much, yeah. it wasn't just a horror movie. It was a story about something horrific that happens more than it was um, just horror for the sake of horror. And um, as such, I, I quite enjoyed the film. I think it's uh, I think it's um, absolutely uh, maybe one of the top five greatest horror movies ever. Easily. Oh, without a doubt. Yeah, easily. Easily, yeah. Um, And if you hadn't highlighted it, I I might have just done that. I had a feeling you were going to. (laughs) I had to. It's one of my faves. What do you want to highlight this week? Um, I want to highlight another movie that came out in 1973. I don't know why I'm making it suspenseful. There's no reason. Um, I I would like to highlight the film uh, American Graffiti. American Graffiti. Where were you in '62? I love the movie American Graffiti. Uh, I've seen it a couple of times. Most recently, uh, a few months ago. Um, it has. It's famous for having a great soundtrack. If you ever go to Universal Studios, there's actually a uh, restaurant that is based on it. Um, and uh, what is the name of that restaurant? I can't even think of the name of the diner in the movie right now. It's um, it Mel's. Yeah, Mel's Diner. <laughs> um, obviously, Mel's. Uh, there's a series of Mel's <laughs> diners all over the all over the place, but there's a there's like an American graffiti themed. Uh, Mel's like right in the center of Universal if you ever go to Universal Studios um, and uh, I walked by it many times and never ate there but it it's this one little part that's kind of ni- early 1960s looking American Graffiti is about the kind of last night before um, a couple of uh, you know townies are going off to college and uh, this is all shot in Modesto California very like small town looking place and all the high school kids basically drive around in their in their cars and that's all they do they drive around (laughs) and they're looking for something to do basically all night long this is the the life of the small town cruising with uh the radio on and a bunch of classic tunes playing and um during the course of this night you get uh two uh, the two focal points of the story which i 
uh, would say are Ron Howard and Richard Dreyfuss, um, who go through their own little emotional journeys. Um, and in the process of these emotional journeys, they uh, their goals and what happens with their lives basically flip-flops, if that makes sense. And um, you have Ron Howard's character, spoilers abound here, who um, goes from being the one who's excited and is going to see the world and ends up staying in the small town, you find out in the epilogue. And then you have Richard Dreyfus, who is the one more hesitant to go and is, you know, constantly thinking of not going um, and whose only objective the entire night is to try to find Suzanne Summers. Someone wants me. Someone roaming the streets wants me. Will you turn the corner? And he ends up going off and, you know, really making uh, a life for himself. And uh, the the arcs of those two characters, which I'm just going to make a retroactive snub and just say that everybody in this cast deserves a nomination. Um, yes. <laughs> yeah, uh, absolutely. <laughs> uh, the, the arcs of these characters and the entire message of um, how people's lives end up playing out uh, when you're from not just from these kind of small towns that can be uh, that can feel like getting stuck, you know, um, but just how these decisions that you make over the course of a night so early really in your life can follow you for the rest of your life, you know, um, yeah. how this coming of age, this transitional period is um it's almost a crock in how much it impacts your life when you're so young and dumb, you know? Um, yes. And, and I just love everything that it's trying to say. It's without a doubt, in my opinion, the best movie George Lucas ever made. Um, I'm sorry. I'm saying that over star Wars. Who's scruffy looking. <laughs> yep. I love hey, I star Wars. I would agree with you. I would agree with but, you. I think this is his best movie. And, uh, you know, the way that they shade out every single character in this film. I love uh, Cindy Williams' character in this movie. She plays, uh, like, the high school sweetheart who's super upset that Ron Howard's leaving town. And she tries to make him jealous by riding around with Harrison Ford. <laughs> um, and Harrison Ford's in this, by the way. <laughs> Has a smaller part, but he's uh, it's one of his first films. And then you have... Um, the woman who is nominated, Candy Clark, um, who kind of plays uh, what is supposed to be like a stereotypical town floozy type, but of course has much more depth than just that. And then you have, um, uh, what's her name? Um, I'm trying to think of the actress's name. Uh, she's young. Which one? Uh, who plays the little young... Carol, the little girl? Yes. Uh, Mackenzie uh, Phillips. Mackenzie Phillips, yes, um, who, by the way, is the daughter of John Phillips. Uh, in other words, the guy who was one of the four Papa, one of the four Mamas and the Papas. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, she later starred on the original version of One Day at a Time. Um, but uh, Mackenzie Phillips plays this little uh, teenager who, who isn't looking to necessarily uh you know she's not nothing inappropriate happens with her i should say but she is just wanting to be older than she is you know Mm -hmm. um 
And but she's so great. You know, she has some of my favorite she, lines in the movie. She's fucking so funny. Fu- yeah, guys, uglier than I am. That didn't come out right. She's hilarious. And then, you know, you get this mysterious girl. She never talks, uh, played by Suzanne Somers, you know. Um, and, uh, and she just kind of represents, you know, she's driving around and you, it's kind of like, man, I want to meet this girl is what Richard Dreyfuss is doing. But she kind of represents the unknown, you know, like what could happen if I find this thing that is unattainable in life. Or what could happen if he decides to stay, right? If he stays, he can find Suzanne Somers, but... By the end well, of the yeah. night, he doesn't find her. So it's kind of him being like, I guess I need to go, you know? Yeah, and that's what I, I'm saying, like, I, I should explain that better. Like, that's what, it's, that's what it kind of means on the surface, you know? Right. But at the right, same right, right. time, it's also, like, finding, chasing her to stay, uh, to stay at home and chase her um, is just as big of a crapshoot as going out and finding what seems um too big to to confront you know right um so i i don't know there's like so much going on in this story and i think that george lucas does such a a good job bringing this all together and i um i i just really gotta say i i think that this is one of the 50 greatest movies ever made so i couldn't agree more what i love so much about american graffiti is how they incorporate the music and the songs from that time period into the movie every song you hear is coming from somewhere inside the film either a car radio or the music coming from the diner blasting outside um and he does that on purpose so you really do feel like you're there, right? You feel yeah, like you are one of these – yeah, you feel like you're one of the kids, one of the gang. So And it moves along feel- so – it moves along at such a, a good pace even though it feels like you're sitting in a moment, you know? Like, yeah. Oh, you're definitely. Just, you're, in, you're in the environment, but he somehow allows you to sit in an environment without the plot ever dragging. It's a really hard – line to toe to have that level yes. of realism but not but not have it get stale or boring um it's it's really just a complete uh it's a marvel of of editing it's a marvel of writing yeah mm-hmm. you know and performance um, it all works together i love that like at the beginning of the film you have all the friends together starting their night off, right, at the diner. Mm -hmm. And then they all go off and have their own little singular adventures that, you know, fucks everything up, and then it all comes back together at the very end. And that's Mm -hmm. just so true to real life. This is just the most realistic coming-of-age film, my God, that I... That may... I mean, it's it's certainly um, the most, like, influential and probably the most often copied version of a coming-of-age film. It's, there isn't, you know, a movie in the future that hasn't borrowed from this in some way, you know? You know, and I sh- I want to mention here, I just talked a little bit about the editing of this movie. The movie was edited by two women, Verna Fields, um, famous Universal editor, 
and uh, Marsha Lucas, who was married to George Lucas at the time. And uh, a lot of people credit Marsha Lucas for helping shape George Lucas and helping mm. to um, keep it, uh, helping to uh, develop his entire sty- style. It's kind of a similar situation to um, Peter Bogdanovich and his early films uh, being so heavily influenced by Polly Platt, who was his wife at the time. And it's like this whole, um, it's kind of like people mentioning like, okay, well, let's put the auteur theory aside and make sure we know that there are people helping to influence these these people and helping to rein them in and helping to um, edit them, if you will. And uh, I just want to mention that because the editing, I think, is what makes American Graffiti really come together because it's the way that it is cut together that really creates that through line and makes the music work and makes the um it makes the emotional arcs really come together so yeah very well um, said i couldn't agree more you're right and i also just love the fact that the stars of this movie are ron howard and cindy williams and ron howard and cindy williams end up becoming famous for playing uh uh a few years later for playing characters who are in the 1950s and 60s um with the tv shows (laughs) happy days and laverne and shirley so (laughs) um anyway but interestingly we get to talk a lot more about ron howard in the years to come and next year cindy williams is in another best uh, picture nominee so we'll get back to them very true that's true all right, let's get into our main topic. Let's talk about The Sting, the year's Ooh. best picture winner. Take so me through it. The Sting is about two con artists, Robert Redford and Paul Newman, who join up together to get revenge on a guy who killed their friends. They put together what they call the biggest con, quote unquote. Um, and they do it to rob this man blind to seek revenge on their friends. Uh, very simple plot, very simply structured. Um, but this is a lot of fun. This movie's just a good time. You know, it's one of those movies that really is so pure in its entertainment value. So yeah, I really like this movie. Uh, it's slick. It feels kind of like, um, to give it maybe a more contemporary reference... It feels like it's like the knives out of its day. Very stylized, kind of like that. It's just really fun, well put together. It's a mystery kind of buddy duo picture. Um, But I'll say this. um, I think the trifecta team of Paul Newman, Robert Redford, and director George Roy Hill worked better back in 1969 with Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. But I think that is the case only because this script is better for Butch Cassidy. I think that's just the only thing that kind of sets that one a bit farther apart Mm -hmm. from The Sting, I think. Uh, But that's not to say that the script for The Sting is bad. It's not at all. It's really, really good. I just think that the script for Sundance Kid plays better to Redford and Newman's comedic strengths and what they were able to do together as um, an on-screen duo. But I do love how you this know, movie is structured. Go ahead. I was going to say, I think this movie is almost less about uh, 
the people who star in it. You know what I'm saying? Like, I think this movie isn't working because it's Robert Redford and Paul Newman, although that does certainly help having their star power in the film. But, you know, their their combination is less important to this film than Butch Cassidy, you know? Um, sure, I can see that, yeah. They're part of, they're almost part of an ensemble in this film. Very true. You know? That's very true. You're right. This is more of an ensemble piece, which is why I bring I brought up Knives Out. Very similar type of a deal. You know, everyone which, is really way to make me just uh, upset all over again that Knives Out wasn't nominated for Best Picture because exactly because <laughs> it why, should God, have why? been, and we will we will get to that one day. But anyway, um. <laughs> yes. Uh, one of my favorite uh, things about the Sting is the music. I think. It was a genius idea to take samples of Scott Jop, uh, Joplin's ragtime music, like The Entertainer, and put that um, in the film. It really gives you a sense of time period. It gives you... It also like gives you a sense that everything is going to be okay, because it's all very upbeat, right? And there's no um, lyrics to any of the music you're listening to. Um, in this film, it's just a, just kind of a very chipper, up-tempo, upbeat music that you get. So you kind of always feel like, yeah, these people are doing some dangerous things, and it's a little tense and um, suspenseful, but the music makes me feel like it's all going to turn out okay. It just kind of takes care yes. of you. I think that's a genius idea. Yeah, but um, it's interesting because the ending almost um before you know what the actual ending is it almost feels like you have been set up as a viewer to make to think that everything's gonna be fine and then it isn't you know and then it turns out it's fine but um but i think the reason that the ending comes off is because for a second you think like oh this is a much different movie than i thought it was going to be and then it, it totally is exactly the movie you think it's going to be. <laughs> exactly. It gives um, you that final reveal. And I, I, I have to say, as far as cons go, this, I mean, like, this has been imitated so many times since then. Um, yes. But this is such a good con movie. It does such a good job of laying out this long con in a way where you maybe don't necessarily understand every single beat of the you know convoluted plot but it doesn't matter because you always you always have a sense of what's going on you always know who the good guy and the bad guy are you always know who you are rooting for and who you're not rooting for and um and there's this whimsical tone it's almost a comedy um this whimsical tone it's not i think we could say this is it, it, there are comedic elements, but it's a very it's a, much so. It's a, a crime. It's a crime comedy. I don't know what it is. Um, yeah, it is kind of a weird mixture of genres. You're absolutely right. Yeah, it's kind of undefinable. You're right. Yeah, and then like uh, people die, and it's just like, wait, what? Um, <laughs> like there is a body yeah. count in this movie. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And it, you almost forget about that when it's over, and you're like, wait a second, there's four people Very who just true. died in this movie. <laughs> um, and uh, one of whom, like, right in front of you, just like, oh, what? Uh, oh, okay. Um, <laughs> and then a character who we kind of care about at the beginning um, passes away really quickly. Um, 
and uh and all of that just kind of happens and it it speeds by and and you know uh oh what's next um but um the uh you mentioned the structure of the film and i love the kind of norman rockwell uh saturday evening post sunday evening post saturday evening post um which one is it? It's uh, there's a day of the week, evening post. Saturday. Saturday. Saturday I'm not evening sure. post. Um, uh, inspired uh, artwork that uh, lets us know what what stage we are in in the con. Mm-hmm. You know, um, yep. with the last section, of course, being called the, the sting. sting. Yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm like I'm uh, right. I'm right. <laughs> You're right. You got it. Um, <laughs> and uh, it's just such a, it's such a, a delight. Just start to finish the entire structure, yes. the tone. Um, you know, you mentioned. I think Butch Cassidy's this slightly better movie, but um, if you're comparing those two back to back, which I I don't even know if they're really comparable, honestly. True. Um, but it's a tight script, which is what makes it all come off. Um, and it is, I, I think it's probably the best movie of its kind, you mm, know? Sure. Yep. Um, and the supporting cast is wonderful, um, that helped to color the entire situation. I love Eileen Brennan anytime she shows up in anything. Um, yeah, she's just great. Yes. I mean, it always makes me think of Clue, but, um, you know, sure. I... <laughs> but she's she's fantastic and it, it's just such a um it's such a it's such a lovely such a lovely lovely film um, it's lovely i was gonna say my only real beef with this movie is that uh-huh. i just happen to prefer two other movies over yeah. this one that were nominated you know we we both highlighted the two other films that i think are better than The Sting, The Exorcist, and American Graffiti. As I said, mm-hmm. two of the most influential movies in their respective genres, horror and coming of age. Um, mm-hmm. And then there's The Sting, which is, you know, as we just talked about, it's just a fun time, so I get it. But in retrospect, The Sting to me still feels like a bronze winner, you know? But I, oh, hold on, but I will say this. There's one thing going for The Sting that The Exorcist and American Graffiti do not have. Robert How Redford. Hot. Robert looks, Redford and Paul Yes, Gunnar. and he, he <laughs> looks right. Yes, that is exactly what I'm going to say. Robert Redford <laughs> looks so delicious in the costumes Edith Head gives him. That's all I'm going to say. I mean, his ass, good God, yum, I yum, yum. I thought he that so, so As he was good. running away from the camera every single time, I was <laughs> yeah. like, yes, you run, Robert Redford. You My run, God, boy. She, Listen, Edith Head gives him the tightest pants to wear in this movie, and I just, it's such a gift for us. It's such and a gift. Speaking of good old Edith Head, this is, I don't believe this is her last nomination. It is her last win for mm-hmm. Best Costume Design. Uh, so congratulations on your eight Oscars. Uh, you, you went out on a really, really good tight note. Um, Truly. But... Uh, <laughs> no capes but um, <laughs> um anywho uh i you know i was thinking about this i was struggling with like what's uh what's the best picture winner here and it's kind of like you take it from different different angles you know um yes uh and 
because uh, if you you go because these are three movies that are totally different and in a lot of ways are not really comparable because it comes down to a, a taste situation like mm-hmm. um what do you what kind of movie do you prefer do you want uh something that's more bone chilling do you want something that's more coming of age do you want something that's fun because we got a perfect version of all three for you <laughs> so true you know? no very true yeah um and so it's it's tough to be it's like you can't really i'm not upset about the sting winning um i would pick american graffiti personally um and i would i I would say the exorcist might be slightly over it in terms of whether a perfect film qualifier you know um yeah um i should say that when i watched the exorcist i did watch the theatrical cut um, not the oh uh, gotcha okay not the uh, not the redone stuff you've never seen cut sure um, sure sure um, the you the should extra know gory cuts <laughs> there are two cuts of The Exorcist readily available in case you're yeah. wondering the one that is on HBO Max right now is the theatrical cut um uh anywho um one of them has a spider walk one of them doesn't that's what you should know. Um, that's, that's exactly right. <laughs> there's a lot more, but but I I did the research and I watched the additional scenes um, without watching the whole film. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, the Sting is just um, it's just a really you can see why it wins maybe when it's sandwiched between the two Godfathers in particular because you got these two super heavy movies, and yeah. then the Sting makes a lot of sense um, because it is unique. Among the best picture winners that come from this time period, especially compared to The Godfathers, The French Connection, Patton, um, One Flew of the Cuckoo's Nest in a couple of years, all of those movies are so heavy, you yeah. know, and are about such serious subjects that it kind of makes sense where you would be like in this year, like, oh, okay, let's go with the fun one, you know? Definitely. Yeah. And, and I think that's probably... Yeah. Go ahead. I was just going to say, and it's... it's um, you know, this movie is um, was hugely successful when it came out. Um, it's one of the, if you were to adjust for inflation, it's in it's one of the like twenty highest grossing films of all time, um, as is The Exorcist, and American Graffiti is also in the top one hundred, the highest grossing adjusted for inflation list. So you got three huge right. um, uh box office ones but so it's like audiences thought all the three of these films were great critics thought all three of these films were great except probably pauline kale she probably didn't like them i'm just assuming um (laughs) probably not (laughs) um you know she just seems to she seems to be the dissenter at this point in time um but uh yeah yeah i don't know Ah, yeah, but I, I see. I see your point. I think my best picture of nineteen seventy three is also American Graffiti. Yeah, and for I think the reasons that you are posing for the Sting, you know, being sandwiched in between all these very heavy, dramatic films, I think that's why I kind of uh, tend to lean more toward American Graffiti because it is funny. You know, it's relatable and it's. Um, it's it you know, equally as, yeah, yeah, you know, and it, it it's yeah, everything. It's it's it 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 is everything. American Graffiti is just far and away such a good movie. It is. 
Um, I love it. I absolutely love it. Yeah, I, I, I adore it. And I think it is, I do think it is the best film of 1973. But as you said, these three movies, American Graffiti, Exorcist, The Sting, they're all so close. It's such a, you know, I feel like The Sting won by a nose, you know, and... The and American Graffiti I'm sorry, were not did you that do far that on, behind. Did you do that on purpose? Did you say did you that like on that? purpose? <laughs> did um, you like that? <laughs> I did. I did. Um, just so you know, like I, I, we may have to start doing that as our greeting for each other. If you guys don't know, there's this gesture and the sting that is just the coolest thing. <laughs> I so I cool. love it so much. I want to use the gif of Paul Newman doing it all the time. Um, mm-hmm. It is just uh, taking your index, your right index finger, and and flicking the right side of your nose, basically, um, doing a little rub of it, and it is. It, I don't know why it looks so cool when they do it <laughs> because because Paul Newman is so cool. Like, how can he, he not? Is, his blue eyes are staring at me as he as he <sighs> flicks the finger across mm-hmm. his nose, and then Robert Redford doing it at the end of the movie, and. Um, yep. You know, and essentially, in, within the context of the film, it is representative of uh, someone's job being done, you know, um, in the yes. con, basically. Um, but it is, uh, it's such a great little iconic piece of movie-ness. Like, uh, I think everybody has seen that, whether they know they've seen it, you know? Oh, definitely, um, definitely. I will say, of the three movies, I think that is the most iconic thing that happens in any of the three films. Well, with the exception of you, the head... The head spinning the, around. The head spinning around. <laughs> the, the vomit. Head, I would say, I, I rethought that. The head spinning around is the most iconic thing. And then and then I put the nose. Um, That's fair. I don't know if, I don't know if American Graffiti has the, the single moment that is as iconic. Um, I think right. it's just... I just think it's the totality of it that's... The whole thing. The music. The Yeah, you're right. It's everything. And it does so we're represent happy with this, this point in time. Yes. Uh, it does represent this point in time where nostalgia, you know, I mentioned Happy Days and Laverne and Shirley, um, you know, being what Robert, Robert, uh, Ron Howard, I was about to call him Robert something. Um, <laughs> Ron Howard and Cindy Williams become known for. But um, this is right at the beginning of this nostalgia craze that happens during the 1970s. Uh, for the 1950s that leads to the 1950s and early 60s this simpler time pre-vietnam basically right um right where uh you know the the people who went through that time are now you know the the working class of the united states and the people who are driving what's popular and they're nostalgic to what their high school days were like and so TV shows like Happy Days take off, and movies like American Graffiti and Grease take off, and um, you know we're seeing uh, a little bit of um, a huge nostalgia wave come through. Another really popular movie that takes place largely in the '50s that comes out this year is uh, The Way We Were. Um, yep. Which, if you guys, uh, I, I should have mentioned this earlier. Um, I don't think the way we were was necessarily snubbed. I think there are. I think it's a movie that's really, really great in sections, but has some um, issues uh, coming together completely as a story. Um, I think the acting is great, and it's a really Robert Redford again looks absolutely beautiful the entire movie, and I love him and Barbara Streisand together. But yes. um, 
uh, there is like there's like something that happens kind of in the middle of that movie where it like feels a little disjointed, like it doesn't completely come together. I don't know if that makes sense, um, but I like I that. so many. I like so many elements of the movie. You know, um, yeah. Again, the soundtrack, the song, the way we were, is maybe the best um, uh, nostalgia song ever written, um, and I'm so happy it wins best original song because it's a beautiful song but um uh it takes place during you know it goes it addresses the house on american activities committee um that happens in the late 40s early 50s and kind of lives in that time period it is the first movie, by the way, to address that head-on, first Hollywood film. So that is something important that happens this year. So I'm mentioning that because, again, this is us looking back on this time period. Yep. And we're addressing it in a way that is honest, which is really interesting in the film. Yeah. And so, and it's kind of fun that we start with these movies that are tackling it in, uh, here, let's look at it, Scars and All. And then it lands in this sitcom-y Happy Days place, you know? <laughs> True. So, and and movies like Grease, which are, you know, of their own reality. So. <laughs> Very much. Um, yeah, you're right. You start, you're with, right. Uh, start with the commentary, and then we end with the, you know, just straight up, straight up pretend this was the best time ever, you know? Um, yeah. Which, in a way, it's, it's funny, because we still see the repercussions of the way that the 50s is presented the 50s and early 60s are presented in these movies i think echoes into the to this day because i think that everybody when you say 1950s now thinks poodle skirt uh yes do what yep. you know mm-hmm. and uh and how funny it is to duck under a desk because of a a bomb scare you know like that right. is um, that's how we look back on that time period now, and the birth of this image of the 1950s starts here. I don't think it starts in the 1950s. I think it starts here, because we went through the 1950s, and yep. that's not necessarily representative of what was going on in the time. You know? Correct. Very true. So, anyway, I, I think... I am just further convincing myself that American Graffiti is the best picture of this year. <laughs> I love that. I couldn't agree um, more. Yes. So, American Graffiti, done. Done. Best picture. All right, let's take a look at what we're going to get into next week. We're moving to 1974 with The Godfather Part Two, the only sequel to win Best Picture. And another um, movie that takes place in the... 50s for 50s. a large part of it bingo <laughs> sorry for, yeah you're right yep yeah <laughs> absolutely um yeah i'm excited to yeah. get into this one this will be a good one to talk about dun, 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 dun. that's it dun, that's the song you're right that's yeah yeah um yes i'm looking forward to that it's also uh another great year where we have a couple of other really great movies up for best picture so this should be a fun a fun one Absolutely. All right, folks, join us next week as we break down 1974. Misty watercolor memories of the way.